0: Let's use this mic for now, right, Kevin? It was uh, years ago, 18 years ago, when we started Community Baptist Temple. Uh, we were amazed. Uh, the first Sunday, we had all of our friends and our family that showed up. And that was all, that was encouraging. And uh, uh, we thought, boy, we are on the fast track. You know, we had like 33 our first Sunday. And, uh, and then we had like six at Sunday night. So anyway, it was just interesting. I don't know. It was amazing. And we had... Uh, we had a, a good little uh, uh, group. My, my mom and dad decided to come to the church. They already had a church, and we really did not, we didn't expect them to be there. We knew they'd come for the first service, but after the first service, my mom and dad came to me and said, and my dad said, uh, well, you know what, we've made a decision. We're going we're gonna to start coming here, and uh, I was like, well, that's great. There's two more right there, and it was me and my wife, of course, and my kids. I remember when I had that radio broadcast. Uh, I didn't have a broadcast, but I was on a radio broadcast, uh, a gentleman. matter of fact, the guy who is presently over our broadcast now, uh, Gary Meeks is his name, he uh, interviewed me uh, at a a Christian radio station when we were starting the church. I'd contacted radio stations and television stations, hoped that maybe they'd carry it, and he did, and uh, did a little interview, and he said, all right, how how many, he goes, "Uh, how many are you starting with? And I said, well, my family. And he said, well, I know how many are going with you, though. Like, normally when the churches begin, there's usually a good core of people, an extra, you know, maybe a music man and this man. I said, well, there's me, my wife, and three children right now. <laughs> and there you go. And that's what we had. And then it wasn't long. Uh, Mrs. Smith, I went over and I talked with her and her husband, Bud. And Bud said he'd come to church. And Bud, honestly, Bud had not been in church as far as Miss Smith was concerned, the whole time they've been married. Is that correct? Thirty three years, I think you had told me, or thirty years. And uh, so she said, Well, if my husband will go to church, I'm going with him. And he did. He came to church. And uh, so there Miss Smith started coming. That was nice. And she left here. At the time it was Canton Road, praise the Lord. God knew what he was doing. Doc wasn't real happy. but mrs smith was pretty fired up because her husband was willing to finally go to church so we had my mom and dad mrs smith and her husband and then me my wife and the three kids to start with and then we'd gotten a family that had six kids but there were six in the family i think it was six total and uh, they started coming immediately we had gotten them out door knocking and then there was a lady that was right across Uh, i'd been out knocking doors for three weeks prior and Uh, passing out flyers and inviting people out, and she started coming as well. She actually gave me a couple of books. I still have them on my bookshelf today. And uh, so they started coming almost immediately from the first service on. We had picked them up before the church started, and that was a blessing. And so, you know, things moved slowly through the years, and God blessed, though. It was three years into the ministry, obviously, or before, really. I don't say obviously, but it was three years before God really started working in our ministry. And uh, the reason why is because I wasn't really a soul winner. I just wasn't. I had been in churches, Baptist churches, that talked a lot about soul winning, but I never saw it done. You know, preacher preach about it. But, but listen, I'm going to tell you something. There's a difference between preaching about it and teaching about it and doing it. Big difference. I, I really did not know how to get the job done. And I was out knocking thousands of doors, folks. It took I, I knocked on a thousand doors before I finally led my first person to Christ, and it was a 16-year-old girl. A thousand doors. I kept track of all the doors I knocked, trust me. That, that was how I was going. And I started going to some conferences and hearing these, quote, big preachers talking about how, well, man, when you get in a rut just going out and knocking on about 20, 30 doors, win someone to Christ. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I've knocked on over a thousand. I've won one finally. And then I've knocked on probably another thousand already. I, mean, I was not on doors all the time. I was out four days a week and Saturdays. Plus, I was working full time. And I was like, this is frustrating. Three years, I finally got fed up. I went down to my basement. And I said, God, I'm not leaving this basement till you make me a soul winner. And I said, all night prayer meeting. And about three in the morning, the Lord told me, he said, Mark, you can go back upstairs. And I said, but Lord, I want to be a soul winner. I'm not going back up till you make me a soul winner. I'd read through the book of Matthew, and I'd laid out every time Jesus witnessed to somebody and I'd done all those things, prayed, wrote, read. Finally, God said, enough's enough. Go on upstairs. I didn't believe it. But I knew, I knew, because I'd heard God's voice already. And I said, all right, Lord, I'll trust you. I went upstairs and that week I led three people to Christ. And after that, the rest is history. Because that's when things started happening at Community Baptist Temple. And not until then. We were probably only running around 40 after three years. But then two years later, we were probably running almost 80. And then we were, in another year or so, we were over 100. And by the time we arrived at this location, we were running 175. That was six years. So within three years, we grew from a 140 to probably 175 people. God blessed, and it was all soul winning. It was all soul winning. And I just want to encourage you soul winners. I was excited to hear those testimonies. That's what makes the difference. I just read some statistics from Barna Research. And they were talking about these uh, new methods of, of reaching people, evangelizing. You know, one of the things they said was that the megachurch mentality is not producing new converts. It's only transferring membership. I mean, it was right in the research. It's not something I'm saying as a Baptist. I'm telling you that it's been researched. It's real. It's legitimate. It's the truth. What's happening is is that megachurches are taking our Baptist saved people out of our churches. They're taking people that are in any kind of church, and they're all flocking because they have a better band, less standards, and there's not nearly as much pressure to live the Christian life. Now listen, you may not agree with that. You may not like it, but that's the reality of it. All you have to do is read the research. And I just want to encourage you to hold the banner high. and To stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you lift the light up and you let Jesus Christ be seen where you go and with whom you interact with. Man, we need to lift Him up. But man, praise the Lord for those testimonies. Those were awesome. That was good stuff. And we're excited about that. Well, anyway, I don't even know. That's I was going to sing a song, but now that i talk talked so long, I'm not. Because when we first started the church, I said all that to say... I had to do everything. I did the preaching, the teaching. I did the singing. only thing I didn't do was play the piano. Ms. Smith did that. And uh, things were different in those days. But they were good days. They were good days. Every once in a while, not for very long now, but every once in a great while, I think, Boy, I'd almost like to revisit those days. The reason why I'd like to revisit those days is because they were so they were so much, they were so simple. It was simple. I went and I preached and studied and witnessed and chased people down. And I preached and I witnessed and I chased people down. That's all I had to do. I didn't have nothing else. I had no one else. They were simple days. But then I go, nah, that's all right. In those days I was working, you know, for five fifty an hour, and that's all I got paid. So I was praying God's power down on that too. So there's a lot of benefits to a church like this now for me compared to then. But uh, there's also a lot of things that make it a little more complicated. But God's been good. I talked to one of our gentlemen today, and I made the statement he, he's bearing a tremendous burden in his life. Many of you are bearing tremendous burdens, I'm, I'm sure. And I told that man, I said, he's a good man, a godly man. I said, I read years ago about a great preacher who said, don't take the burdens away from me, but instead give me broader shoulders to bear them. And so many years ago I made that decision. I, said, I, would, I never pray for God to take away a burden from me. I always asked Him to give me broader shoulders to bear it boy, I'll tell you what, it's a, it's a tough business sometimes, isn't it? Living for God. Trusting Christ. You know what I'm talking about if you've been living for Him. But I'll tell you what, it'll be worth it all one day, won't it? It'll be worth it. Well, <clears throat> let's turn to Revelation 22:13. We only got a few moments. I'm going to share this with you quickly today. I'm gonna sing while well, you're turning. I'm gonna sing the song that probably I don't remember. Do you remember what the first song was I sang, Miss Smith? Probably Amazing Grace or something like that. Because that's that's probably that's the only song I ever memorized in my life. <laughs> Karen knows that. <laughs> I don't memorize any of them songs. I, I I don't have a good memory. But I love that song. I sing it at almost every funeral I do. Amazing Grace.
1: but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first the Be- When we've been there 10,000 years Bright shining as the sun We've no last days to see Than when we first began.
0: <clears throat> we talk about building things, and over the last seventeen years, we've watched as God has built a church. It isn't the largest and it's not necessarily the richest in the world, but it's our church. It's ours. And the ministry that God's built continues to meet needs and it continues to impact lives. And this ministry provides opportunity to be involved in His service and to fulfill our God-given responsibility and calling. See, you and I need a church because it's the avenue by which God uses His people. He intends that we operate through the authority of a local church. Tonight, I just want to share with you just a couple of thoughts that I think will benefit both the the recent convert as well as the seasoned veteran. And I, I want to talk to you about this thought. Whether you're building a life, a marriage, a family, or a ministry, it must begin and end with Him. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, we read, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The fact is that everything begins and ends with Christ. One of the many duties that I have as a pastor and that I've had through the years is to counsel or help individuals to help couples and help families, I've sat down with hundreds of people, and and uh, I've heard the same story over and over again. Um, although there are some unique nuances in each case, the story is almost always the same. You know, people are always people, and although you know there may be some, they may be unique in personality and their appearance, we're still just humans. And everyone would like to believe that they're unlike everyone else. That they're an individual. That they're unique. You know, parents are funny like that. Of course, their child's always the strong-willed one. No other parent understands. You know what I'm talking about. Well, if you only had my child, you'd know why it's so hard. I know, trust me. But everybody wants to believe they're the exception to all natural or universal law. But that's not simply that's not the case at all. Problems are varied, but the root is most often the exact same. See, the answer to every hurt, heartache and situation is the same. Let me explain. First of all, God is the architect We have to understand that truth. He says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Genesis 1.1. He's the architect. He's the one that put it all together. But not only is he the architect, but he provides the blueprint. The Bible tells us over in the book of Psalm, chapter 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He provides the very blueprint we need. And often, if we would just take the time to slow down and we would look at the blueprint, the Word of God, we'd find the direction that we are seeking. Not only is He the architect providing the blueprint, but He's actually the builder itself. He's the builder. The Bible tells us in Psalm 127, verse 1, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord build the house. You know, every wedding that I do, uh, I mention those verses somewhere in that wedding, somewhere in that process. But I am convinced today that most say their vows and never one time really reflect and think about that verse. Because it's not long after, usually, that we find them out. I almost borrowed a term from Jack Hiles for just a moment. Something snapped in my head. I almost said, pussyfooting around with the world. When's the last time you heard that one? back in the 1960s, before I was born. (laughs) But you do. You find them flirting with the world. Hey, wait a second. Except the Lord built the house. Is there any wonder why your marriage is falling apart? Is there any wonder why your children are going astray? Is there any wonder why your life is so upheaved? Maybe it's because God's not building anymore. He's the architect. He provides the blueprint. He's the builder. But also, it's upon Him that we must build. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation, but which we build upon. There's no church. There's no marriage. There's no family that can be built and secured and strong, except it be built on Him. So if you want to build a life, a marriage, a family, or ministry that will last, Christ is the answer. He's the answer. Every day I have to remind myself how much or how valuable and important He is to me. Hey, listen, if He's not that valuable to me, if I don't find Him absolutely essential and necessary in my life, I will have no motivation to share Him with others. When I have no desire to spread the Gospel or to share my faith or to take a stand for Christ, it is proof positive that I am not walking in communion and closeness with Jesus Christ. Proof positive. You say, how do you know that? Because I know from my own life. And I see others' lives and I've heard testimony from other people. When we are truly in communion with Christ, there's an, a desire to want to share that great God that we serve and that we love and that we honor and that we worship with others. And given opportunity, we will. And in any cases, we'll even make opportunity. See, you can't go wrong with the Lord. He's the master builder. He's the chief cornerstone. In speaking about Him, it says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. This church, if not built upon Him, will crumble. Your life, your marriage, your family ministry is on solid ground if it's built upon Him. Sadly, the majority of Christians in our culture are failing in this area. It appears that we've abandoned God's building program for our own. A 2002 Barna Research poll points out some alarming realities concerning faith in our society. Let me give you some news. Good news, bad news, and very bad news. First of all, the good news. In the last four years, and this of course is is 2002... When this poll came out, so understand that it's starting ten years ago. I can only imagine that we've moved in another direction since. uh, Further, I should say. In the last four years, there has been a rise in the proportion of adults who read the Bible. That's the good news. The bad news. Christians spend seven times as much time on entertainment as they do on spiritual activities. Oh, wait a second. The very bad news. Although two-thirds of all teenagers say they know all the basic teachings of the Christian faith, two-thirds reject the existence of Satan, three-fifths reject the existence of the Holy Spirit, and one-half believe that Jesus sinned. Well, let's talk about some good news. Sure, let's do that. Among adults who are lay leaders in their church more than 9 out of 10 prioritize their faith in their life goals. That's pretty good. Again, let me restate that. Among adults who are lay leaders in their church, more than 9 out of 10 prioritize their faith in their life goals. The bad news. Desiring to have a close, personal relationship with God ranks just sixth among the 21 life goals tested Trailing such desires as living a comfortable lifestyle. You know, I didn't even see this poll, and I've been preaching on it. It's amazing. How did you know all that, preacher? You didn't spend millions figuring it out, studying it. I guess I'd just been watching. So you mean that a comfortable lifestyle is more important to those 9 out of 10 that prioritize their faith and their life goals? That's what the study teaches. Oh wait, we even got to the very bad news. A minority of born-again adults, 44%, and, even an, and an even smaller proportion of born-again teenagers, 9%, are certain of the existence of absolute moral truth. That's an alarming statistic. of born-again adults and only 9% of born-again teenagers are certain of the existence of absolute moral truth. You know what I'm saying? That sodomy is an abomination against God. They don't believe that. That having physical relationships outside of marriage is really a sin and an abominable sin to God. They don't believe that. They don't believe in absolute moral truth. That's alarming to me. Oh wait, good news. Half of all unchurched and non-Christian adults admit that they are seeking meaning and purpose in their life. Providing a meaningful entry point for evangelizers. Boy, I tell you what, that's good news, isn't it? Let me read that again because you need to hear that because you've been told a lie. And so have I. We've been told that nobody wants to hear. Hold on. The research proves differently. Half of all unchurched and non-Christian adults, that means one out of every two that you knock on their door that are unchurched, non-Christians, they're adults now, not even teenagers, admit that they are seeking meaning and purpose in their life, providing a meaningful entry point for evangelizers. Hold on. The bad news, though. In a representative nationwide survey among born-again adults, none of the individuals interviewed said that the single most important goal in their life is to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Not one in the survey that they surveyed. You say, well, yeah, but if they'd have got to me, you got to understand something. Surveys are pretty accurate. They're amazingly accurate. Now, sometimes you can, you can sway them, obviously. These people have been doing these surveys a long time, but not one person they surveyed or interviewed said that the single most important goal in their life is to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. May I say something to you as your pastor? I hope that is your goal. I don't know for sure. Only you know that answer. Sometimes there are evidences of things, but we're not talking about just what goes on at the church house. We're talking about what takes place behind closed doors. I mean, the most important goal in their life is to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Above all things, preacher, I want to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I'll let nothing or no one stand in my way wonder how that poll would fare here tonight amongst the best. It is the 18th anniversary, and if we want 18 more, we better start getting it together. If it's not already together, if you know what I'm saying. This is what made 18 years possible, folks. A preacher that said, let's really evaluate our hearts and let's ask ourselves some tough questions, and let's go forward for God. But here's the very bad news. Large proportions, even though these unchurched adults are looking or seeking meaning and purpose, large proportions of the lay leaders in Christian churches hold a range of unbiblical religious views regarding the holiness of Christ, the reality of Satan, the existence of the Holy Spirit, the reality of the resurrection, and the means to salvation. Isn't that amazing? What he's saying is they don't even know how to get saved. And yet they're professing born-again believers. These are leaders in Christian churches. Well, we're not sure about the salvation thing. We're not sure about it. I mean, I guess there's a lot of roads that lead to Rome. That's very alarming. That is very bad news, folks. Extremely bad news. Extremely. See, the report's out and the news is not good. American believers have been conditioned in a fast food society. That's the problem. And you know what it is, is that we want to see and we expect immediate results. We want things to happen now. I mean, I get saved and I want everything in my life to be fixed and perfect. I want the power of God on my life without ever having to put any real time into prayer. I don't want to have to sacrifice anything of any essence of my life or my activity or possibly my schedule i want to keep things the status quo i want to go the direction i've been going i want things to move in the, the way they've been moving i don't want anything to upset my plans my future my goals i'm not about to, to sell out my future for the lord jesus christ or anyone else because i want what i want and i want it now well we're in trouble Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know he began a work and he's still working it in your life? That means that there's a constant work taking place. Do you know why this place is so important in your life? Because God's still working on you. You say, I don't need this place. Okay. Okay, don't come. Don't. That's a decision you get to make. God don't make you come here and I can't make you come here. Hey, listen, this isn't, this isn't some nation or Muslim nation that says you'll either believe the way we do or we'll kill you. No, this is a nation founded on religious freedom. That means that every faith has a right to exercise their faith. Whether you believe in God or you don't, we support you in your endeavor to pursue your conscience concerning God. I'm okay with that. You don't have to be a Baptist. You don't have to be a Presbyterian. You don't even have to be Catholic. You don't have to be nothing. You be whatever you want. You be an atheist. You have that right in America. And I support your right to believe as you choose. But then again, don't tell me how I have to believe either. Religious freedom is something that America was founded on. Go to a foreign country that has a faith. See how much freedom you have to exercise your faith Contrary to theirs. It will be like America before the Constitution was completed. And if you don't know church history or history, please do not assume you know more than I know tonight. You do your research and you check it out. You see what nations on this globe permit you to believe however you choose. Go to China and go ahead and stand up as a Christian and walk through the streets holding up the banner high. Go ahead and do that. And see what happens. You won't get that opportunity. They'll take you, haul you off to jail. Thank God we have that liberty today. We live in a country and a nation that permits us to share the gospel. To go out on a street corner and even preach if we want to. And there are Americans across this country that are looking and searching for purpose and meaning in their life. They're looking for something that will provide them with purpose. You know what? Sooner or later, that boyfriend or girlfriend will no longer meet your need. Sooner or later, that husband or wife will upset you. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can go ahead and put your faith in the riches of man or even in the armies of men. But when it's all said and done... The only one you'll have when you're laying on that bed there, when you get told, when you, when you get in that car accident, will be Jesus Christ. Listen, we need Him, beginning and end. That's where it all starts, and that's where it all ends, with Him. We're born and created because God puts us on this earth. And when we die, we will face Him. Nobody will stand with us. That's good and it's bad, isn't it? Remember when you was a kid and you got in trouble and all your brothers and sisters pointed at you? Oh, he did it. No, she did it. He did it. She did it. And I said, no, no, here's what I did. He said, nope, sorry, all of you getting a whooping now. My dad was good at that. If there was any conflict, any, any discrepancy whatsoever in the story, everybody lined up. And that's usually how it ended. Nobody wanted to admit it. I figured if I was going to get one, everybody else was getting one with me. I've always been one to share. And... But you know, that judgment seat we'll have nobody to share with, will we? I mean, let's face it. It's going to be, it's just us and God. And that's kind of scary too. I hate standing anywhere alone. Those, those meetings, when I go to them preacher's meetings and they make you stand up and tell you where you're from, I get nervous. I hate standing up in the middle of those people. You say, that's nuts. You stand in front of us all the time. I know, but you're family. You don't count. Your family. Those people make me nervous. <laughs> Listen, just real quickly, let me tell you three simple thoughts. I'm not going to preach these either. I was going to, but I'm not. Listen to this. You want God, you, you, you really want God to work in your life, your marriage, your family, your ministries. I want you to know that, he's, that, that, that He'll do so. For instance, you can be sure that God is anxious to do a good work in your life, your marriage, your family, ministry. You can be sure of that. God wants to do something miraculous in your life and ministry. He does. Again, he's, He started that work and He's going to keep performing it. So you know He's anxious to do it. Those teens went to contest and I still can see them up there as they're doing that quiz team. And man, I'm going to tell you what, I don't know if anybody wants them to win more than me. I get nervous just listening to them. I'm waiting for them to stand up. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Stand up. And then they stand up and I'm like, you can do it, you can do it, you can get it, you can get it. Come on, just think, 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 think. You say, why are you into that? Because I want to see them succeed. And I'm excited for them. I'm anxious for them to do well and to to experience some success and to watch God work in their life and to reward them for their, their labor and their diligence. Number two, don't expect immediate results. You've got to be patient. You've got to be patient. Again, like I say, this project takes a lifetime. We're trying to sew it all up overnight. Well, I got saved, preacher, and it ain't working. How long have you been a Christian? Two months. I'm still struggling. My family don't even understand why I'm going to church and they don't realize why I've all of a sudden made a decision to start reading my Bible and, and there's some places that they've been wanting me to go that I used to go with them that I feel very uncomfortable with there anymore and I don't really feel comfortable to go so I don't go and they're really giving me a hard time. I don't know if I can hold out, this is getting tough. Well hold on, it's a lifetime. I'm just saying it's a work that God began, and He's going to continue to do that work. That's why we need the exhortation and the encouragement of God's people every week. David said, "I waited patiently for the Lord." In Psalm 27:14, the Bible says, "Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. You know what? It took us a lifetime to develop all those bad habits. To accumulate all those flaws and to mass all those problems and somehow if we're not careful we get the idea that the moment we get saved or the moment we get right with God after we've been away from Him that He's supposed to just wave a magic wand over all of those problems, those flaws and those habits and take everything away and start perfectly fresh like there's never been a day that we rebelled against him. Tell you what, consequences may last. They'll hold on to you. Listen, don't expect immediate results. Be patient with the Lord. He's been patient with you. I dropped a glass on our wood floor in our bedroom some years ago. That that glass shattered. I mean it shattered, and there were shards of glass scattered everywhere. And I did, el- I did everything I could. I did my very best to pick up every piece of broken glass that I could find. For a while, I wouldn't even go in the room unless I had shoes on. I just wouldn't do it. I'm a little paranoid like that. Glass in my feet, this isn't something I look forward to. <laughs> but this one time, I forgot to wear my shoes. And I walked in that room. And when I got to walk in that room, all of a sudden, without any warning, I felt this sharp, piercing pain in the bottom of my toe. I stopped in my tracks and I screamed like a girl. I did. I I did. My wife will attest to that. I've got a very piercing squeal whenever I'm in pain. And I remember looking at my foot. I lifted it up and there I could even see it glistening in the light of the... Light. I mean, there it was. I was like... Oh, Oh, I remember, I was afraid to touch it. I was afraid to cut my finger. So I had one of my kids pull it out. No, I, I pulled it out. I'm joking. But you know what? That glass was still causing pain in my life. I had swept it over and over and over again. I'd done all I could to pick up the broken pieces But still, those pieces sometimes cause me some pain. Let me ask you, how many glasses have you dropped, so to speak? You know, in your life, your family, maybe even your ministry. For some reason, we get the idea that God's supposed to just fix everything with one swoop of the broom. Just sweep it all away. Every once in a while, you'll feel the effect of that broken glass in your life. Just always remember, it's just a small shard of glass. It could be the whole piece. But God's been good to remove all those things in our life. But every once in a while, some of the consequences of sin just seem to linger. They cost us something. And they're often painful. And finally, don't fight the builder. Let him do his work in your life, in your marriage, in your family, and in your ministry. Don't fight him. I don't know about you, but have you ever tried to read blueprints? I've tried. Matter of fact, I took a course on blueprints. I was learning how to draw blueprints at one point, and I was doing that. I was taking some classes, an adult training class after my high school years, and uh, I wasn't sure. I even thought about going into being an architect and... Of course, uh, after seeing how much the architect's going to cost, I'd be much richer if I had. But uh, architectural drawings are not easy to understand, are they? Very difficult. They're filled with a bunch of little lines and symbols, and they almost look like hieroglyphics. They make very little sense to most people, you know what I mean? They don't make any sense to me either anymore. I used to know a few things, but I don't know anything now. And, and, And... they, they, they really do deal with specifics, though. Blueprints are very specific. I mean, within inches, fractions of inches. Just specific. They're exact, and they leave nothing to the imagination if you know how to read them. If you don't know how to read them, though, you could stare at those things for hours and be simply clueless. It'd frustrate the life out of you. See, God's the architect, and he has this blueprint. And again, it's called the Bible. And the blueprint outlines the construction of our lives. The construction of our marriages and our families and even our ministries. The blueprint is already on paper and it's between the cover. We can't understand what God's doing in our lives and where it's all headed from time to time. Especially in the beginning. When you first get saved, it's hard All the pieces are scattered and everything looks like hieroglyphics. But once we allow God to work in our life a while, once we're patient with Him and we begin to read and study and we begin to meditate on that blueprint a while, it starts to make more sense. We'll still have questions along the way, but we'll begin to see the progress that God is making in our life. Just don't fight the builder. Because sometimes there's things that He allows in our life that we just don't understand. They're not easy, too. Some of them are tough. But God has begun a good work in you. And He will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Everything begins with God the Lord Jesus Christ, and everything ends with Him. Let God have His perfect way and work in your life, your marriage, your family, and even your ministry. See, God never quits on us, does He? But unfortunately, many have quit on God. You know, if we'd be honest with ourselves, there may have been a day or a time when even we have. Thank God He is so gracious, long-suffering, and merciful. And even when we turned our back on Him, He was still standing with His arms open when we turned around again. I read somewhere that part-time faith is like part a part-time job. It will never fully support you. I want to encourage you to get in full-time. I'm not talking about full-time as a paid staff. I'm talking about full-time Christianity. I mean, completely committed to the goal of knowing Him. You can be sure that God's anxious to do a good work in your life. Don't expect immediate results and don't fight the builder. And if you'll let God have His way in your life, you'll look back one day and you'll see that He has done a marvelous work. But don't let Satan discourage you. I saw, I was out visiting door knocking yesterday as a closed, but Brother Steve uh, Cavanaugh and myself were out knocking doors. I had some good visits as well. We knocked at one door and the dogs started barking. I mean, they were barking like crazy. I looked at Brother Steve and I, of course, let him have that door. I said, I can't, I hate dogs at the door. Because you know no one's going to listen to you when them dogs are barking, no one's going to talk to you. At least that's kind of what the devil tells us, you know. I said, I'm confident that the devil, that, that's the devil there. That dog's the devil. Right there you can see him. If I didn't know him better, there's horns in his head. You know why I say that? Because that dog keeps me from witnessing to someone. And I know the dog's not. He just, he don't have nothing to do with that, obviously. But I was just making a statement. See, that dog keeps us from maybe being able to share the gospel or influencing that person or their life. It disrupts and distracts. Don't let another person in your life be the devil. Don't let them distract you. Don't let them discourage you. Don't let them... Throw a wet blanket over your fire. Don't let the devil use them as a mouthpiece to discourage you. I mean, I'm talking about Christian brothers and sisters now. Don't let them use them to hurt you. You keep loving Jesus. You keep living for Him. And you keep looking for others. And God will bless you for it. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for all you've done. We are grateful, but we are concerned about the future.